Vincent Werbergs, Derby. Good morning. It's great to be back. So it's September, as Phil prayed. Uh, deep, deep prayers there. It's September. It's the start of a new term for many. Maybe not for, for all of us, but some of us maybe have kids going back or to school or university starting or maybe even starting new jobs. And it feels like it's that season when you have the opportunity just to reset and to start again. And it's a fresh chance to, um, to just seek God. And that's really what we're going to be thinking about um, this, this morning. Step out September, you might have seen the cards. I'm going to explain a little bit more about that in a bit. But that's what we're calling it at Werbs. Um, in our house, we've got uh, three going back to school. One went on Wednesday, two tomorrow. Um, and it has been a lot of preparation. I never realized how much shopping was involved in going back to school. Our girls, it is one of their most favorite days of the year. They plan for it for about six months beforehand. We have lists written, mainly involving me crossing out things. You don't need that, you don't need that, you can reuse that, you've got that. Um, but we now have new bags, new shoes, new stationery, new pens, new pencil cases. And actually, what is most important, I've discovered, in the life of a school child these days is pastel highlighters. Apparently crucial for a secondary school student. Uh, when I was going back to school, I uh, remember, and the story is frequently told within my family, about the fact that my lunchbox was the same year in, year out. And I think possibly, at least in my memory, till about the age 14, I had a Postman Pat lunchbox. I mean, <laughs> shh, <laughs> not allowed hecklers here. Um, anyway, that's how I remember it. None of this new things every year. But today we are talking about prayer, and similar to stationary shopping, if you haven't immediately got the link, um, prayer is the way that we build our foundations for the new term, the way that we prepare for the new term. Stationary shopping prepares us for school, but prayer prepares us for life and for all that is ahead and all that we might be facing, the joys and the challenges, the difficulties and the good times. And this, it might not be a start of a new term for you, but it's the start of a new season for us all. And it already feels like autumn is here. We can feel the difference. Summer is gone. For some of us, we're counting down the days to Christmas already. Some of us are um, sad about the loss of the summer. But it's an opportunity to put some new disciplines in place, maybe, to think about some new habits and an opportunity to maybe try and kick some of the old habits and put new helpful things in place. So our foundation is prayer. And I heard a definition this week of prayer as the raising of our hearts and minds to God, which I thought was a beautiful way of putting it and really simplifying it, really, in, the, in those moments when we just lift our hearts and minds to God, that is us praying. Prayer is the fuel for the engine of all that goes on within our lives, within this church. There is, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens, there's a whole lot of activity, but unless it's grounded in prayer and worship, it's fairly worthless. We want it all to be fueled from the engine of prayer. 
And so our foundations need to be firm and strong, and we need to ensure that we are um, flowing from God's inspiration, from God's will. And we're going to dig a little bit deeper into prayer and how we go about it. And we're going to look at Genesis 18 today, which is a slightly strange, um, slightly odd conversation between God and Abraham. But it gives us some insights into prayer. So I think it will come up on the screens, but you can follow along. Genesis 18, um, if you've got a Bible with you or a phone. Genesis uh, 18, verses 16 to 33. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, their sin is so grievous, as I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know." The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of righteous... Righteous is five, less than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I won't do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord. What if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So the first thing that this passage, I think, teaches us about prayer is that it is all about presence. It's about showing up and being present. Prayer is a conversation that is initiated by God. He, um, slightly unusually, we get this insight into God's thoughts and it shows that he has initiated this conversation. He is considering whether to gather Abraham in, whether to include him in the way that he is thinking, in what he is thinking, or whether to hide the plans for the city from him. And instead of God acting in the way that we might expect the creator of the world, the judge of all the earth to do, 
who is mighty and powerful and fully able to judge a city or to have mercy on a city. Instead, he decides to hold back and to include Abraham in his thinking, in, in allowing Abraham space to work through the situation, to gain insight. He draws us in. God's desire is always for relationship, to draw us in. He's initiating that conversation and wanting to have that relationship with us. And in response, we're told that Abraham remained standing before the Lord and then he approached him. Prayer begins simply and straightforwardly with us turning up, standing up before the Lord. Abraham remained standing. He didn't turn away. He didn't cower. He didn't move on. He didn't hurry on to the next task. He recognized that the Lord was there, that he was present in that moment with him, and he chose to remain standing and to engage. And we have the same choice today. God has taken the initiative. He has come to us. He has shown himself us in the form of Jesus. Jesus as a human, as a man coming to earth, declaring that he loves us, that he's for us, that we're forgiven, that we are free, and that we are chosen to be his people. And we have the choice to remain standing before God and approach him to be present, to enter into his presence, to not rush away onto the next thing, but to be aware of his presence and to be present with God, engaging and meeting with him. Prayer starts with us showing up, knowing that we are invited, that we're able to confidently come before God, to boldly approach him, knowing that we are precious children who aren't even just invited in, but are welcomed in, are longed for, God longs to build that relationship with us. I read um, Pete, Pete Gregg's book, who um, so a lot of you may have read that or heard of him. He's written a number of books of prayer. And if you want to know anything about prayer, any of his books are worthwhile reading. Um, but Dirty Glory is, is amazing. And one of the things he says in that is that your power in prayer flows from an inner certainty that the one who made you likes you. He isn't scowling at you, and he's on your side. And so we can come confidently, knowing we're not approaching a distant God who we need to be afraid of and we need to cower before, but we're approaching a friend who loves us, who wants to speak with us. Abraham was known as a friend of God throughout the Bible. We're told that he is a friend of God, and it's the same for us. God enjoys spending time with us and longs for us to come and meet with him. And my study Bible, which actually has all the answers in, actually tells me that in the um, ancient, I didn't find this out by myself for sure, the ancient Hebrew um, texts, the scribes, right back in the very original versions, it's actually called the Masoretic, te Masoretic text, uh, to be precise. It actually, in those first versions, it said, it originally said that the Lord remained standing before Abraham. And they were so, oh, oh I've got a beautiful, beautiful butterfly come to join us. Um, uh, the Lord remained standing before Abraham. And over the years it was changed because the scribes couldn't quite factor that as a thought or felt that maybe it was a bit improper to think of the God coming and standing before us, waiting for us to speak to him. The thought that God maybe would loiter and hang around waiting to see if we engage, waiting to see if we choose to speak to him. 
And yet he does. The voice that flung stars into space, the voice that calls us beloved, is waiting to speak with us, to speak to us, to speak over us the depths of his love and truth and grace. And so prayer starts with presence. starts with us being present and God being present, being together. It starts with us showing up. And as we show up, we also need to speak up, to intercede for the needs of those around us, to intercede for ourselves, for our friends, for our city, for our nation, to persevere and to persist in prayer. So there's presence and there's persistence. And if we, reading through this um, passage in Genesis 18, I'm sure you felt it as we read it, verse after verse after verse, it gets to the point where it feels quite awkward. Abraham keeps pushing, he keeps asking, he keeps going to God, asking him for more. He clearly recognizes, there's a few phrases in there about um, don't be angry or... um, Can I just say one more thing? Can I just? He knows he's on thin ice, but he keeps pushing and he keeps asking. And he knows that he has been invited into this conversation. And so he makes the most of the opportunity that he has been given given to speak to God. And actually, we notice throughout the whole passage, God doesn't once reproach him or tell him to stop. There's no hint of an eye roll, um, as might be my reaction sometimes. Um, God is wanting him to come with boldness. He's wanting him to keep asking, to keep pushing, because the more we ask, the more we plead, shows the more we care. And um, I just... Sorry, thinking if I'm jumping ahead. God invites us in, and he wants us to engage with him. He wants to get us to engage, to have an impact on our world, and to intercede. And you may have heard this phrase before, but it says that someone has said once, history belongs to the intercessors. The impact that our prayers can have upon this world is real and tangible. And the prayers that we pray, and crucially, actually, the prayers we don't pray, will have an impact on the people around us. Within this short conversation, the conversation itself only lasts for 10 verses. And within those 10 verses, there are 10 questions that Abraham asks of God again and again and again. He pushes, he pleads for the sake of the city because he knows that people's lives depend on it. People's salvation, people's transformation, the sake of our city depends on our prayers. And I'm aware that many of you have been and are and will be persisting in prayer over and over and over again. And it feels like maybe there's nobody listening. It feels like you're talking to an empty room. It feels like you're present, but where is God? And these are the difficulties. These are the unanswered questions that we push into. And Abraham, his story, he was 70 years old when he was first already old, already beyond the age of having a child. And at that point in his life, that was when he was given the promise from God that they would have children. And not only a child, but descendants that outnumbered the stars in the sky, that outnumbered the the sand on on the beach, the grains of sand. He was given that promise at age 70. It wasn't, or 75, so age 75, 25 years later, the promise came to fruition. Already he was old, already he had been waiting. 
They had been waiting for a longed-for child, another 25 years until the promise was fulfilled. So if you are waiting, if you are longing, if you have prayed and prayed and prayed and feel like there is no answer, you are in good company. The heroes of the Bible have been through what you have been through. Jesus himself has prayed and prayed and there were unanswered prayers. So it is part of our human nature. It is something that is unknown and unanswerable. But what we do know is that God loves us, that he is for us and that he is with us in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the difficulties. And often when we um, talk about persisting in prayer, the parable that we... um, that we refer to is called the parable of the persistent widow, which is in Luke 18. I'm not going to fully read it through, but I'm just going to pick up some bits. So if you wanted to flick to it, you can do. Luke 18, verse 1. And this even starts with Jesus telling us why he's telling the parable. And it says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So Jesus knew that people would be praying and praying and praying and that there would be a gap between prayers being answered and seeing the fruition of those prayers come. And he knew we would need that encouragement to keep going, to not give up. And this situation is a widow who was desperate for justice, but the judge that she had to go before neither feared God nor cared what people thought, but she kept coming And so he refused justice, refused her justice, but she kept coming, she kept pleading, she kept showing up, she kept speaking up. And because she bothered him so much, he gave her the justice that she required. She was determined, she refused to give up because her survival was dependent upon it. She was dependent upon that judge to give her what she needed, and so she persisted. And maybe the reason that God doesn't answer our prayers the first time or the 10th time or the 49th time or the 1,000th time, whatever it is, is not because he's an unkind or a cruel judge, but because our persistence in prayers keep us connected with him, keep us in relationship with him, keep us dependent on him because we know there is no way through this without God. It is only God who is able to do it. It's only God who is able to see lives changed to answer the prayers that we so long to have answered. Abraham was given the authority and the opportunity to haggle with God. And because he chose to care, he chose to engage, he was given the authority to influence and save a city. And we have been given the same. Our willingness to persist in prayer, to engage, to haggle, to challenge God, to not give up because we care too much, to keep holding on, to refuse to let go because we know it's a matter of life and death. We know that salvation is at stake. And we know that we and those around us and our city will not survive if we don't, if God doesn't intervene. Phil and I have been uh, married for 16 years and over those 16 years I've quite frequently mentioned to him that um, I really like a cup of tea in the morning. It just, you know, it's a good way to start your morning, isn't it? It's a good way just to get going, 
And uh, the example that I was set when I was growing up, unfortunately for Phil, was a father who made his wife breakfast in bed every morning. So there was a high standard that had been set. And unfortunately, also for Phil, he is not a morning person. It tended to be that I was up first, so might as well make myself a cup of tea. It was the way it's been for 16 years. <laughs> How to stir a congregation. Um, but, but, this week things have changed. <laughs> There's a story to be told, Phil. Um, and after a fair bit of persistence and a bit of nagging and some encouragement for, from some friends who are grinning at me, who've uh, nudged and got in there, um, Phil, this week, every morning, I've had a cup of tea. And he's got up before me. He's made me a cup of tea. Well done. One week. One week. And now I've told everybody... I'm going to, it's going to keep him accountable. It's going to continue beyond one week, I think, now. So persistent work, persistence works is what I want you to know. 16 years, you may have to keep asking and begging and pleading. Eventually, it'll happen. So prayer takes our presence, takes us showing up, and prayer takes us speaking up. It takes persistence. And finally, I need to speed up. Prayer means surrendering up. Surrendering up our expectations, maybe our lack of unbelief, maybe our disappointment, maybe our challenges and the things that we have faced that we make us think that God doesn't care, that God doesn't hear, that he's not um, hearing our prayers. We need to surrender up that lack of unbelief and replace it with faith. Two verses before the passage that we looked at in Genesis, we find this line, is anything too hard for the Lord? This question comes at the end of the, the previous conversation between God and Abraham, and God is outlining that promise for Abraham about the children. And Abraham and Sarah, as we've said, are facing a seemingly impossible situation. And yet what God is saying is totally different to what they can see and what is reality in their life. And you may well be the same. You may well be facing an impossible situation, something that feels overwhelming, that is taking hold of every thought or taking hold of every aspect of your life. Beyond see, you may be beyond seeing anything different within it, any change, any hope of things changing. It may be to do with healing. It may be to do with jobs. It may be to do with relationships. It may be to do with children maybe to do with family. It can be anything and everything, but God knows. And we may be desperate in facing these situations that seem impossible, but God is able, he is almighty, he is all-powerful, and nothing is too hard for him. Prayer means looking beyond what we can see, what we expect, what we believe to be possible to what is real at the moment in our eyesight. Prayer means looking beyond. It means having faith to see beyond and to hold on to a God who is the God of the impossible. The parable of the persistent widow finishes with this question. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And Jesus is asking of the disciples, but he's asking of us, whether we believe in the God of the impossible, whether we're able to look beyond to a God who is able to surrender up our expectations, our unbelief, and fix our eyes on a God who does answer prayer, maybe in a way that we wouldn't expect, 
or maybe that we're not wanting, or the timing maybe not what we'd want, but we know that God does answer our prayers. So we need to show up and be present with God in prayer. We need to speak up and persist in bringing our prayers before God. And we need to surrender up our expectations, our unbelief, our disappointments, our pain, to allow space for God, of the God of power, to make possible the impossible. And we've got some um, ways to maybe help encourage that over this next month. We've got Step Out September, is what we are calling it. And there should be cards on your seats um, that have been beautifully designed and produced by Sarah. And um, it very briefly explains the details of what it's all about. Um, but basically, we're really wanting to step out in prayer this, this next three weeks, really. Step out in prayer physically. We're going to be doing some prayer walking. Um, but also step out in boldness, in uh, looking and thinking and praying for people to invite to Alpha. So we're wanting to step out and prayer walk this local area. There's All the information is on the website, but if you're unclear, I've got um, paperwork here that I can show you. We've got a route mapped out. Um, I ran it yesterday because it's about 5K. And I, I mean, I've planned the whole thing and thought about it and put it into place and then I went and ran the full route because we'd adjusted it from when I did it the first time and I was astounded by how much God stirred me and spoke to me as I prayed it. I was so excited when I came back um, which sounds a bit of a strange thing but there was so much physically walking the route I think is, a, is so powerful as to, to God shows us so much when we see what is actually going on and we see the people and we see the places and God draws our attention to different things. There was so much that I felt he said to me on that and or just drew my, there was just that hit my attention. So I would really encourage you, it's a little bit, um, it's a, you have to sign up basically for one of the days. There's a doodle poll on the website. Pick a day to go and pray. Take people with you if you'd like to. It's good to go in a group or it's good to, it's fine by yourself. Choose a time to go that suits you that day that you can do. It'll take about 45 minutes to an hour um, to walk the route and go and pray. Um, as many people can do it during the day as they during that day, but I would love, if we're possible, if we can get 21 days of prayer of that walk, of that path being um, being walked. Oh, and actually, I didn't say why we chose that route, but we go past that route goes past every um, block of student accommodation. So within 10 minute walk of a 10 minute walk of this church, there are um, about eight halls of residences, all with about 300 students about to arrive in the next week or two. We are right, this location is so significant. And I think as we pray and we walk and we seek God for what he wants to do in this city, um, it will be, I think he will do powerful things. Um, so we want to pray for all those students about to arrive in this city, pray for those halls of residences. And we also, we walk past Laverstock, which is the initial accommodation where many asylum seekers are living, again, within 10 minutes of this church. So this is our area. This is our patch. And we want to be praying for it, praying for the people within it, praying for healing, for wholeness, for well-being, for life and God's life. And for God to be stirring us. And then 
I think the sense I had yesterday is that our times are so shakeable. We are so shaken as a nation as well at the moment. There is so much that is shaking us. And yet we need people within that shaking. We want long for people to find the God who is unshakable, to put their foundations in the God who is unshakable. So we've got prayer walking. Sorry, I'm talking too long. Then we've got uh, Alpha coming up. And we would long for you to maybe think of three friends that you could pray for, who, um, whether you invite to this Alpha or whether they're just friends that you would long to do Alpha, maybe around the country or wherever, but three friends to pray for. And then set your alarm for 11.02. Uh, which is a bit of an unusual time, but if we set our alarms for 11.02, the idea is that we are all praying at the same time. And it's 11.02 because it flows out of Luke 11, verse 2, which is the Lord's Prayer. And we are praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that is our prayer for these friends of ours, and it's our prayer for our city, and it's our prayer for our lives as well. So at 11.02, I would encourage you, set your alarm on your phone and pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Amen. Amen.